On the last show of Season 10, we explore the challenges of running large organisational websites in both the commercial and public sectors. web show thingy that we do every week. My name is Paul and joining me as always is Marcus. Hello Marcus. Hello Paul. Today's show is brought to you by Headscape and the industry jargon word dither. That's dither. Dither? Yeah, dither. I do a lot of dithering. I know. Why why did I go into the kitchen? Um... That's that's a very common dither. That yes, it is. <laughs> or why did I open this app? I often do that as well. It's the virtual equivalent of dithering. Um, yes. No, I'm talking about in gifs and other image formats where you have a limited color palette and you know it dithers mm-hmm. in order to create an approximation of the colors. Yes. So that's today's jargon word: dither. Yeah. Absolutely pointless. You do not need that word in your life. <laughs> there you go. So, how are you, Marcus? I, I'm very well, thank you. Um, I was just um, contemplating that this isn't really a weekly podcast, is it? Because next week, and the week after, and the week after, and the week after, we won't be doing one. Well, no, because we're at the last episode of season nine, aren't we? Yes. Which is very exciting, because we get a holiday. <laughs> or you get an actual real holiday. I get an actual real holiday, yes. So when are you off? I'm off on Sunday. Well, I actually fly on Monday, but we've decided to take it easy and go and stay at Gatwick the night before so we don't have to get up at ridiculous o'clock. I quite like getting up at ridiculous o'clock when it's holiday time. Oh, do you? Yeah, because it's all part of the excitement. Yeah, but it's just such a long day. <laughs> so, you know, I'm lazy. Yeah. So we're going to go and stay in the hotel overnight the night before. Yeah. Yay! At that, that, that high spot that is Gatwick Airport. Yes. And then I've got uh just under a week in vegas where i'm going to be at future insights usa you have to say it like that don't you apparently <laughs> and um so i'm i'm, I'm gonna speak there mm-hmm. which would be really cool on my incredible book digital adaptation available now in pretty much no bookstore so are you actually admitting that that's holiday yes i am because <laughs> i'm taking it as holiday but you have to do a bit of work in there paul yes but the work is is to pay for me and my wife's flight out there. Ah, right. That's fair enough. So that's kind of... A, I, it's not headscape time because you're not getting any money out of it. I'm keeping the money all to myself. But we might in a kind of roundabout way. Yeah, if we win some work. Absolutely. We don't want any more winning any more work at the moment, do we? I thought Chris was moaning. Oh, so much going on. So many leads. I mean, there's no pleasing that man. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a difference between so many leads and winning them. That is true. There is a big difference. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm quite excited, actually. There's lots of meetings. 
Yes, although we we now we I, I don't we can now say that we're working with Rosalind Franklin University in Chicago because we have a contract with them. Yay! Which is our first higher education in the US. Yes, uh, that's cool, and we're working with AWID, a women's rights um, organisation, and <laughs> these these things are kicking off. Can I can I just ask a question about that? Yeah. Why did they hire us? Um, because we are the most blokey agency known to we 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 don't really other than Liz and Liz does count, <laughs> but we don't really have any female employees. But that's not a deliberate act, is it? And I no. even though we pretend to be blokey, we're actually all softy lefties at heart. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We're <laughs> so, not we're not blokey in any kind of so, real sense yeah. of the word. I you mean, know, we don't go is, hunting and fishing and stuff, yeah, do well, we? So, yeah, even I was going to say, even the sporty ones out of us like play. <laughs> Cricket. I mean, that's not exactly a manly sport, is it? <laughs> I suppose Ian. Ian surfs, doesn't he? That's kind of manly. Yeah, and he does triathlons, and that's really manly. Yeah, but, that but, is. But, but there you go. But no, but we did. I, hang on a minute. We did. We were employed for our our skills and our knowledge, Paul. <laughs> you mean people don't hire us just based on our sparkling personalities? Uh, well, maybe not just that. <laughs> And, and of course, we did do... Uh, you say we're not manly, but what did we do a couple of Christmases ago? We went shooting. Uh, clay pigeons with, with guns that had big silences on them and made them really weedy. Yeah, so so it wasn't too painful on our ears. I'm sure I just... Uh, I, I know quite a lot of blokey blokes, and none of them work for Headscape. No. <laughs> well, what about Ed? Ed must be... Ed's fairly blokey bloke. I, I suppose... Yeah, yeah, ex-rugby player. But I suppose from a sort of... You know, but he's a designer. He is. He's a bit so of a lovey, really. He, he? Wor- he worries about, you know, how straight things are. <laughs> blokey blokes. Do real not. men not do that? They don't no, worry if things not. line up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, we've now just written off every designer as not being a blokey bloke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm having a real, I'm having a real crisis at the moment, Marcus. Really? Well, the trouble is, is that the, the announcement's been made for for um, Yosemite, the next version of the Mac operating system, and iOS eight, and they're sitting in our Apple developer account, waiting for me to download them. And you're about to go to America? Yeah, download them, Paul. And you know that they're going to be unstable and it'll be a massive mistake. But just ignore it till it comes oh, out properly for just, everyone. No, I can't. I just can't ignore software. I can't ignore new goodies that are sitting waiting for me. But it's not really goodies, is it? It's just stuff that goes on in the background. Oh, no, it's great. I mean, iOS 7, I suppose, was quite a big up, upgrade. And <laughs> You don't even know what iOS 8 or Yosemite does, do you? They they make my computer work properly. Let's face it, they do exactly the same thing that iOS 7 and no, whatever the current no, silly name so one is. so much better. You just don't understand, Marcus. You know I'm right. It's like Christmas. <laughs> it's not. It's better than Christmas. A new Mac? Now that's different. No, you see, no. Cause it's just, I'm sorry, I disagree with you over this. Because it's well, that makes that's a surprise. Software isn't, it? isn't shiny. No, there you go. software Enough is so dead. software. I'm sorry, software is so much more important than hardware. Might be more important, but it's not shiny. It is shiny. The new Mac operating system is beautifully shiny. Really, it is. They've yeah, simplified. You don't know because you haven't downloaded it yet. 
What? You don't know yeah, because you haven't downloaded post- it yet. And like I haven't watched every video that's been posted on the internet about it. Oh, with lots of very sincere sounding people. No, 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 not the official Apple ones. Yes, they do all sound right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they talk in a very sp- specific way that amazes me. Yes. But it's got, look, iOS 8. God appointed me to work for Apple. That's why yeah. I always think. <laughs> Yeah, they are the new kind of church, aren't they? Really, <laughs> they are, yeah. I'm giving up on this Christianity lark. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna become a a, a jobist. <laughs> Do you know what? That, that wouldn't surprise me if that becomes a thing. Oh no, it wouldn't me if it, either. If it isn't already a thing, well, I think it kind of is, isn't it? They called the first iPhone the Jesus phone, didn't they? Did, you? <laughs> Did they have to? Do yeah, that? which always made me laugh. <laughs> But no, it's got so many cool... Look, and it just looks beautiful. It's like lovely big pictures, I, so I'm looking at the I can't believe that I'm going to say this. But all right, Paul, what, what's yes! new on Yosemite? Him. Yes! I made him, I made him say it. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Well, no, everybody else knows this, because everybody else cares about these kinds of things. It's just you. So it's Yosemite you're interested in rather than iOS 8? Yeah, because I'm looking at a Mac at the moment, not an okay. iPad. So for a start, it's got a, a more iOS um, 7 stroke 8 interface. So really, it's the biggest um, change to the visual look and feel. Right. Much simpler, much flatter, much cleaner, quite nice looking. I like it a lot. They, but the flat's going out now, isn't it, really? The Mac is going out. No, flat. Oh, going flat. Yeah, yeah. So that's what they've done, basically. But, but actually, to be fair, to get rid of that vile skeuomorphic design, that's a good thing. Exactly. So it's all looking very clean and very lovely and very translucent-y and that kind of stuff. But that's no big deal. We don't care about that. What they are doing is they're making Spotlight much cooler. So Spotlight's um, um, now much more powerful. A um, bit more like um, Albert. Link in the show notes to Albert, which is what I use at the moment. So it's my main... Albert is my main way of navigating. So I launch apps with it. I do... Um, you do that with Spotlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, uh, all right, I don't happen to be the first thing out of Albert that I talked about. But it pulls back lots of cool little snippets of information. You can do cool stuff with that. So um, the new version of Spotlight has got, um, like, we'll show you bits from Wikipedia, from maps and other sources in it. And it also appears as a big old box in the middle of the screen rather than a tiny little box up in the corner. Um, so that's quite nice. But again, not that much bigger deal. They're really improving the notification area. So there's going to be all these widgets and gizmos that you can put in your notification area to make that actually useful, which isn't really at the moment, is it? So, so it can bar- embarrass you when you're sharing your screen with a client? Yeah, well, there is a big do not disturb option, <laughs> which you should have turned on in that particular <laughs> Skype call that I know you're talking about. It wasn't, a, I think it was using Adobe Connect, but they all count, don't they? Yeah, what was it I typed? I couldn't possibly say. Why couldn't you say? Because they don't know what the client is. <laughs> Who it the client was. might be able to work it out, so I'm not saying. <laughs> I wasn't particularly complimentary, let's put it like that. Um, so you can, yeah, they're nice do not disturb, so that's good. Um, but where it gets really interesting... It's not interesting, is no, it? No, it really is. The, it integrates really closely now with your phone and your iPad, Right. So things like if you're um, uh, looking at a web page on your iOS device, mm. in your, at the end of your dock on your Mac, a little um, Safari icon will pop up um, at the end, and you can click on that, and you will be able to view the page you were working on 
you, you were looking at on your iOS device, right? Um, if you're halfway through typing an email on your um, your iPhone and you go, damn, this is getting a bit long and awkward, you'll find a little mail icon on your um, your Mac and you'll just click that and the email will come up exactly where you'd got to. All right, I'll give you that. That's quite useful. Which is quite useful. And it goes beyond that. Things like um, <clears throat> your, you can now answer your phone on your Mac and talk to people via your Mac. Really? Yeah. Um, that is good. You'll be able to get your SMS messages. Something proper good. I know. <laughs> um, you'll be able to get your SMS messages on your Mac as well as your iMessages. Really? Yeah. Um, obviously, you can pass stuff both ways. It isn't just from the iOS yeah, yeah. device to your Mac. It's Useful bit... for testing as well, then. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant for testing. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought that. Um, also, um, it does an instant hotspot thing now. So you know you no having to connect anymore to your your Wi-Fi, your iPhone's Wi-Fi. Your basically your Mac will go. Okay, I don't have any normal Wi-Fi. I will automatically connect to your phone if it's nearby. Not so sure about that one. Well, you can turn that off. That's <laughs> well, up they're to saying you. that because I've always thought because I've watched it, I've used it on the train. I thought, blimey, I've, I've lost ten percent of my battery in about two minutes. <laughs> but I've, I've used it in a meeting that lasted for two hours, and I thought, well, if it dies, it dies. And it uh, and then it ended up with like forty percent of the phone left. So I was, maybe it sort of uses it a lot to to get connected, and once it's connected, it doesn't. Yeah, see, I use that all the time. For me, that's a really big one. Um, yeah, I mean, a useful tool, but I'm just always concerned about how much it's sucking the life out of the phone. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too bad. So, I mean, that's just some of it. I mean, there's loads more, but I'm, I'll, I'll, no doubt I'll get boring. So, wh- when does this come out for normal people? For normal people, is the autumn. Oh, fine, yeah. Oh, well, that's I'm ages t- away. I'll die of old age before then. <laughs> Anything could happen. I might not make it back alive from, from America, and I will never know the joy of Yosemite. But you won't, you won't care because you're dead. Yeah, but my last thoughts will be, <laughs> will be, I regret my whole life because I never experienced Yosemite in iOS eight. So I really think I ought to install it before I go. It would be silly not to. It really would be silly not to. Yes, do it, and then I can am- amusingly watch your Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, I know you're right. <laughs> hey, we ought to at some stage talk about like web stuff. Yep, let's do that. But What's the, happening today? Right, so this is because this is our last show. Mm-hmm. I thought, screw it. I want to get as many of these interviews in as we record it. Yeah, uh, I guess that's worth saying that apologising to those people who we did interviews with who didn't make it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we could use them in the future for something. Yeah, I'll still keep them around and there might be an appropriate time. Mm. Um, and also, of course, there's lots of people that submitted projects that we haven't covered either. So mm. I do feel a bit rubbish about that but we kind of did warn people that we might not get through them all mm. so it's so our last week this week so i thought we'd do two interviews instead of just one so we've got um simon cox from hsbc yep. and mike mcconnell from the university of aberdeen and it's kind of quite nice really because we've got two interviews one from the commercial sector and one from the university sector both dealing with large complex websites so that yes. should be quite interesting i'm quite looking forward to that um yeah, so sorry for the people that aren't being interviewed or haven't had their interview broadcast. We still love you dearly. Don't take it personally. Because I have to say, pretty much my selection of interviews was fairly random. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to claim there was a lot of thought that went into it. But I know you wouldn't believe me if I said that. 
Um, again, I'm concerned about what I'm about to say. Um, do we have a format for the next series? Yes, we do. I talked <laughs> okay. about this on the last show. Were you not paying any attention? Obviously not. So next series, because it's series 10 next. Uh, yes, I do remember. Top 10 lists. Yeah, mm. there we go. That's only because you've read it in the show notes. No, I didn't. I don't have the show notes open. Oh, for crying out loud, why do I bother producing these show notes if you don't well, even know you them? You could have just told me two interviews. <sighs> Done. Your level of commitment, Marcus, continues to worry me. <laughs> do you actually do... What do you do at Headscape? Nothing I mean, what, at all. What do you spend your days doing exactly? Swanning. What? Swanning. Swanning. Well, we need to, you need to change that to your professional job title. I'd like that. Be good. <laughs> yes. Director of Swanage. Yes. So, we're, in Season 10, we're doing Top 10 lists. So, we need your ideas for Top 10 lists. So I've got a few in my head, but I, I could do with some more suggestions. So if you've got a suggestion for a top 10 list, email me at paul at bogueworld.com. Why is it suddenly turned into Bogue World rather than Boag World? Best cricketer ever. What, top, top 10 cricketers. That's one we could do. Um, oh, God. We could do Marcus's top 10 favourite guitars. I was thinking more of like top 10 most influential figures in the web design community or top 10 web design blogs or top 10 usability tips, that kind of thing. I know what you were thinking. I was just trying to sort of jazz it up a bit. Top 10 sci-fi movies, top 10 sci-fi books. That's a great one. We, top, one top, week. 10, top 10 f- songs. You'd never get anyone to actually do that, but because um, it's so hard, that that's impossible. Actually, yeah. so is top ten books, uh, well, sci-fi books, really. Yeah, I could probably have a go at it. Yeah, what would you put in your um, your top ten sci-fi books? All ten. That's quite no, hard. no, no. Just give me a couple. Um, Player of Games by Ian Banks. Greed um, and Accession. Ian Banks, my favourite of all time. Um, See, I didn't enjoy Accession as much. I need to reread it, I think. Uh, other sci-fi stuff. I quite like, um, weirdly, because he's written better than this, but um, Alistair Reynolds' book, which I'm really struggling to remember what it was called, House of Sons. Right. I don't know why. I just really... The, the picture he painted was one that really appealed to me. Yeah. Cool. Um, oh, it's hard, isn't it? What else? I know um, there's so many, aren't there? Yeah. Well, let's do that. Let's have a, a, a quick, quick at the end of the show. We could do, we could do a proper one, a sensible one, and we could have a quick maybe top five or yeah, that's quite a good idea. I quite like things. that because because we need to make our shows even longer. <laughs> yeah, talking of <laughs> how which, long's this intro gone? Yeah, on I'm going to say we've been going for twenty minutes in this intro. <laughs> we ought to stop since we've got two twenty minute interviews. Yeah, okay, <laughs> time to do an interview. We're going to start off. With Simon Cox from HSBC. Okay, joining me today for our interview is Simon Cox. Hello, Simon. Hello. Would you like to tell our dear listeners what it is that you do and who it is you do it for? Blimey. Yes, of course. (laughs) Um, I'm Simon Cox. I'm a senior manager for digital publishing uh, in our global publishing services division of HSBC. That sounds very like, posh. It does. You sound very powerful. Yeah. Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> Are you the kind of person we should be sucking up to? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't normally tell people that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So what does that actually involve then? 
We've got uh, a, an internal division within the group um, that is global, um, and we run websites and also do other things like um, uh, paper publishing um, presentations and stuff like that. So we're kind of we, it was set up as a, an internal agency, uh, and we used to have to pitch for everything against external agencies. Okay. And the idea was to make a small profit internally, uh, but not too much, and um, but run ourselves as an agency. But that changed a couple of years ago, and we're now just an internal resource, so we don't have to do timesheets anymore, which is a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I yeah, used to well, be in this. Paul, sort of Paul and I, we're, we're always doing timesheets. I'm, I'm on top of my timesheets constantly. I'm timing this right now. Well, I've got a timer running, but I'm not measuring it against anything. I, I don't. And neither are you. No, I don't time anything. <laughs> I get in trouble because I forget to do so it when we're doing proper projects. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I used to be in a sim- very similar position when I was at IBM. We were like, um, I think they called them a cost center. So you ha- we had to cover our own costs and we would pitch for work internally. So very similar setup, I'm imagining. So you have lots of like internal clients, in effect, that you work for. Yes, all internal. Okay. So um, I'm really quite interested. This is quite an interesting model. We've not talked to anybody in the kind of position that you're in at the moment. What's the kind of biggest challenges that you face in that kind of scenario then? Uh, Probably the amount of work we need to do um, compared with the amount of time and resource we've got. That's probably the biggest challenge of all. Um, But on a daily basis, it's trying to educate the, the business how the web works and what we should be doing okay so uh, for example i mean you say that your time is a constraint um in terms of the amount of work that you could potentially be doing but one presumes that if someone doesn't come to you they could still go to an outside agency or or are they now trying to funnel everything through to you with you guys uh, it's a kind of um pick and choose piece so uh if the business has got the budget to go to an agency they tend to do that and if they haven't they tend to come to us and expect the same thing uh, ah yeah. that's that that's... sounds familiar to um <laughs> other clients we've spoken to I imagine. i'm thinking of mike back in the old days yeah. mike, mike mcconnell probably who is going to do it do or has done we don't know because we, we don't, don't know, know what order we're going to do yeah. them in yeah he started off having exactly the same problem and that's a bit of a shitty situation yeah, i'm is. guessing because you get all the the less juicy less exciting projects as a result well, that can happen but um what quite often happens is that we get an agency involved in the the initial design and build of a website and but then we have to run it afterwards which is the not so nice part it's not so interesting but it's still a worthwhile job Mm, uh, and we can still improve the site so what we tend to do is we these days is we get involved as much as we can in that first piece with the agency and we act as a a kind of middle ground between the business and the agency themselves so we translate what the business is asking for to agency speak and the agency reply back to the business so the business can understand it and we've kind of got a foot in both camps and it, it works quite well that's quite an interesting mm. setup i quite like the sound of that because it, it it means that you can mediate what's going on and you can ensure a quality that the the agency doesn't bullshit you about yep. you know what's yeah. going on but at the same time um you can also maybe knock off some of those rough edges that a stakeholder might have in terms of you know unrealistic expectations etc very much so and the constraints around what we can and can't do are um unbelievable um and usually agencies come agency come in and say let's do this and we'll go yeah we can't we can't yeah. on our platform we can't for all sorts of reasons um there's all sorts of risks there's uh, laws that we can't do certain things mm. as well yeah uh, i know banking regulation yeah 
We've got, we do, um, we do some work with law firms in America and they, they suffer from a similar kinds of problems that they've got certain regulatory constraints upon them as to what they can say. Yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. can't say, for example, you're an expert in something or, or really bizarre things that, that you go, oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. How weird. So, um, what, from, from that point of view then, I mean, what, I'm quite interested. What are the kind of big, um, constraints on you that you you often coming up against frustrations that that you may have from a digital perspective um well i'll give you an example um uh video on uh, on-site video um for many years we used to use flash as the player for video mm-hmm. um and we would probably pass that piece out to an agency that was doing some campaign work they would come back with code and give us the code and say right stick that in your website um, but what they would do was hard code links to XML files within inside, inside the SWF file, um, which we couldn't then change. Uh, and our internal CMS um, and uh, URL paths in the site wouldn't allow uh, us to pick up the, the XML file through that. Um, but every time we told them, don't do this because it won't work, do it this way. And every time they'd ignore it because they'd chuck it out to some Flash developer, they brought in right who just do it the normal way um that everybody else in the world does uh, and then we'd have to spend the next five days trying to sort out what was wrong with it <laughs> so that's more of a technical constraint then very much so yeah yeah okay so some of it's kind of infrastructure inf- infrastructural what's that you that's not a word. A new word it's or... a new word and i'm sticking with it <laughs> so that's apparently the problem you've got whatever that may mean that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a technical point of view so from a business point of view um we are obviously regulated by banking regulations around the world and that has uh, serious effects on what we can and can't do so for many years i ran um, hbc.com the corporate site mm-hmm. and even though that's owned by hsbc it's actually owned by hsbc holdings plc which is the holdings company that owns all of hsbc right but it doesn't have a banking license <laughs> oh, right. because okay. it's a holdings company yeah it's, it's not a bank um oh. it's just a corporate piece so therefore on hbc.com we could not put any adverts uh, about offers on local mortgages uh, in maybe the UK. So we couldn't say that there's a 3% mortgage in the UK this year, etc. Or uh, in Brazil, it'll be you know cheap savings accounts, etc. Couldn't do it. It's illegal. Right. That's interesting. I mean, there are some parallels with, with Nestle.com. We work, we've worked with Nestle for yeah. years and years on their corporate site. Um, uh, it, it's not legal... Uh, there aren't legal issues with them uh, advertising their their products because that's what you what, we've been trying to encourage them for years. You know, you, you need to be, we need KitKat and Nescafe and all this kind of thing to try and add some kind of ongoing interest, if you like. And and we we think that their uh, you know the visitors to Nestle.com want that as well, mm. but they are hugely limited in what they what they what they're allowed to do based on their own internal rules with regard to promoting these products because of basically com- you know competition between the products and right. so they end up doing nothing and it's like this is corporate websites you'd think that there would be these kind of shining yeah. uh, pillars of this mm. aren't we great this is all the things we do but they're you know even even within internal rules stopping that happening so yeah to kind of feel your pain a bit on that one I guess another, another big one for you, Simon, must be um, uh, kind of the globalisation aspects of it, because HSBC is such a worldwide bank yeah, that, yeah. you know, you must have all kinds of issues about the globalisation <laughs> of your content. Um, yes. 
<laughs> uh, we haven't got a spare hour. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, one of the little bits bits coming out of that is we are in I think it is now seventy one countries and territories. Right. We have to say and territories because we're in Taiwan. That's Ooh. a little bit sensitive with China. Yes. See, it's fascinating, isn't it? The, these little nuances that you can uh, you know that you don't find out about until you're really heavily involved with the sector. You know, that's one of the things I love about my job is, is we, you know, you get to work in all these different sectors where you discover all these little things about how they operate. It's always so interesting. So talking about learning stuff, over your time at HSBC, what do you feel like the, the kind of most important lesson you've learned is? What's the, you know, the kind of thing that stands out most in your mind? Well, for me personally, it's hanging on in there. <laughs> um, really is. I mean, I, I built my first website and got involved with uh, the web in '95, um, and it was really I was going around banging on people's doors and saying, "This is going to be big." And I had lots of people saying, "Go away!" Yeah, <laughs> don't I know, know what you're talking about. Um, and of course, they've all got better jobs than I have now, and they all think they know all about the internet. But um, it was really just p- persevering for years, saying that this is what we need to do. I mean, we launched a. Um, a CSS driven site in I think about 2002 which is must have bad probably mm. about the first or layout association rather than driven probably the first financial site and certainly the first corporate site in the world to do it we didn't make any noise about it because we always get shot down for anything we we <laughs> uh, we like to talk about so um yeah we did it and it was great uh the agency that did it for us I had to go and spend quite a lot of time with them explaining why we should be doing this um and they learned out of that we yeah. learned out of that and it's brilliant um we've had the same thing with responsive web design as well. It actually was easier to sell that to the business than it was the agencies who really didn't want to no. do it at all. They were like, no, no, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how to do this. And from us, it was like, well, here's your chance. We're going to pay you to go and learn. So uh, hang on a minute. How, how, do, how does one become an HSBC oh, agency? Shut <laughs> up, oh, don't. You, be, you sell yourself to JWT. I'm uh, guessing. You're to PP because yeah. they're basically our, our global agency yeah. and if, under their umbrella. Um, you can be part of that. We and are very we, aware we, of these situations. Yeah. So, so there's, there's your problem then. So you, it's this enormous agency that isn't necessarily up with the latest innovations. Well, that's actually, they are. They're, they're, because um, it's an amalgam of lots and lots of different companies, small companies within um, WPP and um, JWT, um, they've got lots of specialist teams and, right. and small companies that do bits and pieces. So um, so how come it took so the you, the, the you had problems with the responsive design side of things then? Well, we didn't. Oh, I thought you said you did. <laughs> yeah. Did no, I just... No, the oh, right. Um, there, was, there was two elements to it. Um, I'm very confused now. <laughs> first off, I said we should be doing responsive web design. Here's the reasons why, cost, benefits for yeah. all, the, all the things we know. Um, the agency said, well, we don't know how to do it, rather not. And the other company that all, also uh, agency that are working with us, um, who can do the build... Uh, said, well, actually, there's a better way of doing it in the CMS. And the CMS that we are now using was able to deliver different sites according to device. Oh, okay. Right. And we I'm said, well, you. no, you're not going to keep up with the devices that are coming out. Yes. And I think at that point, we'd had already had about 1,200 devices looking at the, the HPC.com. I said, well, you, know, you can't build 1,200 websites. Yes, Correct. I see. So, so uh, how are you getting on with the responsive side of things then? Uh, differing sort of 
Yeah. I like Simon. He's been, but, he's been but, very honest but, about things, isn't he? It's, it's, um, well, hsbc.com is more adaptive than responsive, and that was okay. already our first shout at it. Um, uh, we've got a couple of other sites that are now uh, in that way. I mean, we've got a lot of websites to start with. Yeah. yeah. About 280, I think. That's not bad. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> about 280. Well, yeah. compared, considering we were talking to the University of Edinburgh, which will be considerably smaller than HSBC, true, true. they had more websites. So we'd, we'd like to reduce ours as much as possible. Yes, I uh, totally agree. I think they could do with doing the same, to be frank. <laughs> so... But certainly from a responsive web design point of view, that is uh, on the agenda now, and everything we're doing, we're looking at it from, from that angle. Uh, sure. It just makes pure sense. And, and you've got buy-in from your agencies now? Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, we get it, they get it. It's not a problem. Okay. So, I mean, the next question, I guess, is almost an irrelevance for you in your situation. The next question I have was when you um, you look for outside help, outside agencies to work with, what do you look for? But I guess the truth is you've got agencies that you have to use because they're they're already um you've already got yeah on your roster but let's switch that question just slightly and say you know talk to us about as somebody that's a client as somebody that engages with an agency what is it what makes the relationship work or not if that makes sense from your point of view what do you look for in that relationship with an agency oh that's quite easy um we need an agency that wants to be part of our team. Yeah. Um, so earlier I talked about um, our team sitting in between the agency mm. and, and the business, but it's really a, a triangle. So it all becomes one team. So that you mm. have agency people, you have uh, GPS people, that's my team, and the business, and we sit down and we just work it together. Uh, and that works really, really well. So they've got to be team players. We don't want people coming in lauding it and say, yeah, we know about this stuff. You're a bank. You won't know about it. Mm. That doesn't wash with us at all. Um, I like but, that. That makes yeah. a lot of sense mm. to me. I, and it's increasingly the way that we work with clients, and I know a lot of other agencies work with clients, that you're embedded in it. All this muck and mystery of we go away and produce the magic really, you know, doesn't work, does it, with the web? No. So, yes, it's it's a, it's a really interesting, this, this kind of working relationship between clients and um, and uh, and agencies and i you know I, I getting that right is really difficult to do so the the last question i've got for you before we we wrap this up really is about the future from your point of view now you've already talked about that um you know you're putting a lot of emphasis on responsive design and getting things to be responsive are there any other big things coming up from from your perspective that you need to be paying attention to and that has got your focus at the moment um yeah, so the team I'm currently running, um, having moved away from running HBC.com, um, I, I run this global team of um, uh, analytics experts, SEO experts, and uh, an, um, accessibility um, experts. We'll say oh. experts. Um, we know more than anybody else in the bank about it, but, um, well, most. Um, we are trying to get our sites, the quality of our sites, up. Uh, by a lot because it'll help getting traffic through to them um it's just good for everybody from certainly from the accessibility side um but for for all reasons so um driving this uh quality piece is the thing that's really pushing been pushing me for the last couple of years and and will be for the next imagine couple of years um because we've got tools that can show us how how 
the quality of our sites and how good they are, etc. Which okay. gives us a score, and we can map, map all that out. But then we go in and look at it and say, well, how can we improve these sites? And so we sit down and talk with the business who... Really, to be honest, they'll look at it and say, well, why are we going to spend this money when we can't see any visual benefit to it? Um, but then that's where the MI piece comes in, the analytics piece. We come and say, look, if we do this and this and this, we'll drive traffic up, you'll get more customers, and hopefully your bottom line will go up. Mm. From their point of view, they're, they're very happy just because they get um, uh, a budget and say, right, go and improve the site this year, blah, blah, blah. And they normally go and say, right, we'll redesign it. We come and say, well, actually, you don't really need to design that much of it. Um, you would well, just do some other stuff to, to actually get that bottom line up, yeah, get more traffic in. About evolution rather than revolution. Very much so. I think we're in one of those stages. I mean, the, the RWD piece has been the latest um, revolution, but that in itself was quite small compared with things like um, web standards, which we pushed in 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are definitely into an evolution piece now rather than revolution for the next, uh, until something else comes along. Yeah, mm. things have stabilised a little bit more, mm. haven't they? Than than you know, I, there's not quite the same chaotic nature. I wanted to, to say that earlier and then stop myself because we don't know. It could all we just don't. it could turn upside down in the next year. Yeah, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> I like true. to think that it's all settled down a bit and and you know the sector is growing up and all this. Kind perhaps of stuff. it's perhaps we've just reached that age where we hope like hell it has because we can't keep up it, anymore. It, probably, it could be that. Yeah. <laughs> I think banking itself is changing. Um, there's all sorts of different ways now to, to move money around. And Bitcoin's mm. a, a big player in this. It's, it's going to potentially change all sorts of things. But that's maybe maybe the first of many other types of um, up, upset in what is a fairly traditional uh, industry. Mm. That's an interesting point you make there, isn't it? Because uh, it, it's... It shows the broader context of digital that so often we think of digital just as this tool. You know, it's a new channel to communicate with our customers. But actually, it's transforming society and and the world in which we live. So something like Bitcoin, for example, you know, that's that's not, you know, that's fundamentally reshaping how, you know, currency and finance works. Um, and we're going to see more and more of that kind of stuff. So it's not always... We've got to have a much broader view than just thinking of digital as a, a, another tool that we add to our existing arsenal, because it's actually a lot more than that. It's you know, like it would be like saying the printing press was just a tool. Well, yeah, it was, but it also brought literacy to the world, you know, and it you know did all of these other things to it. So sometimes a simple tool can actually have a much more profound effect than perhaps we first think. So yeah, to that effect, the team that worked for me, I've got. Um members in Guangzhou in China, right? Hong Kong, Manila, yeah. Colombo, and Cairo. They all report in to me. I'm the only one in the UK. Yeah. I've got this team of 12 people out there, and we talk every day on video conferencing on, yeah. on, on our PCs. And it's like they're in the next office. I know. It's, it's like a different... You know, can you imagine talking like that 10, you know, 10 15 years yeah. ago when we started out? Mm. Well, it's longer than that now, isn't it? I'd like to it pretend it's only it 10 years ago. Yeah. Yes. You know, that would have just been un- inconceivable to have a team spread over the world. Mm. Yeah. Incredible. Well, we, were, we, were, we, we had an in- interview uh, very similar to this one with a guy who's on the southern side of Australia. Yeah. Earlier on today. Yeah. And it, 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 it's just mind-boggling that somebody 10,000 miles away... We've reached that state. You know what we're, we're sounding like? Men, we're we? sounding like old people. Yes. Oh, it's saying, amazing. Yeah. I'm 86, you know. <laughs> I remember before there were cars on the road. Yeah. You know how I'm crying at that. Anyway, 
Thank you very much. Do you think people will be pre-internet and not pre-internet? Because I'm pre- obviously we're all pre-internet. But you can tell you can tell how old somebody is by the jokes they tell Marcus. Dad <laughs> <laughs> oh, jokes, yes, yes indeed, exactly. <laughs> and Marcus is very old. Well, thank you so much, Simon. That was yeah. that was great, especially because you were rude about Marcus. That makes it all the, all the more special. It's so rare that way round, and it? it's great. This is you're the first guy that we've had from like the big corporate side of things so so it's really interesting to hear that kind of global perspective on stuff and the the challenges that brings not to mention all the the strange regulatory challenges that you have as well which is fascinating so thank you very much simon absolute pleasure and um good luck with the many sites and hopefully we'll speak (laughs) to you again soon yeah cheers simon anytime bye-bye cheers take care bye-bye So that was Simon's interview. Simon was very honest, wasn't he? He, he was. Did, he was like, uh, well, either honest or, or depressed. I couldn't <laughs> work out which. Well, he was quite impressive as well. Oh, Some of the stuff yeah. they were doing, but sort of didn't want to shout about it. Um, like the first CSS site back in, or CSS kind of layout driven in 2002. I know. Well early. That's way earlier than we did it. Yeah. And I sounded so cool in the interview, didn't I? I just said, oh yes, that's quite impressive. (laughs) When actually, when I thought about it, you know, when I was listening back to it afterwards, I was like, a little... Yeah, we didn't even know what CSS was in 2002, I don't think. Well, we did, but we didn't use it for layout like we do. Or it was no. always within other stuff. Yes, it was. That's true. Yeah, I won't undo us, undo us too much. Undo I, can us. Re- I can remember trying to understand what CSS was back in the town pages days. Oh, yeah, I do as well. Got, I still don't know, really, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's so worrying, because I know it's kind of true. <laughs> But no, I thought it was great. I really like the idea, the way they've kind of placed their agency, uh, their internal agency, for want of a better word, as being mediating between the client and the agency. I thought that Hmm. was quite a nice thing. Um, But I don't know. I think they've lost something going from being an internal agency to an internal resource. Because I think people take the mick when you're an internal resource, you know, and you kind of, they can just use you whenever they want. That that is true, but the other flip side of that coin as he said was we don't have to worry about timesheets anymore to to take all of that kind of worrying about how much you build and have we reached targets and all that kind of stuff away and just become this thing that does jobs yeah that that does take a lot of pressure away but yes people will just go do this for me now yeah it kind of shifts the relationship a bit weirdly yeah anyway right so that was simon cox from hsbc um, we are now going to talk, so we're going from the commercial sector, we're now going to move across to the uh, public sector, although I don't know, universities are a funny one, don't they? They kind of call themselves public sector. They are public-private because they get, obviously, they're, they, they're funded from both student um, and government. Yeah. So Increasingly, they're becoming commercial, though, yes, really, more, aren't they? More and more so, yes. Yeah. Anyway, so this is Mike McConnell from the University of Aberdeen, who's one of Marcus's favourite clients, isn't he? He is. I'll tell the story after his interview. Because mainly because <laughs> it involves lots of drinking when he goes to see Mike. Well, just the first time was the one that it really did. Um, so so funny. let's listen to what Mike's got to say. Um, and it's a really good interview. Again, lots to learn. So uh, keep your ears peeled or something. No, I don't uh, know. Uh, anyway, your ears here you peeled. Go. I think you're mixing your metaphor. I am as normal. Here's Mike. <laughs> 
Okay, so joining us today is Mike McConnell. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hello, Marcus. So, Mike, best place to start is if you could just um, spend a moment telling our dear listeners a little bit about yourself, about where you work and what it is that you do. Well, I work at the University of Aberdeen, and I've got a very strange job title. It's Business Applications Manager, or BAM for short. Um, As part of that, uh, I manage uh, remotely the university web team, although they're actually managed by another individual who confusingly is also called Mike. And the web team number uh, about seven developers currently. Uh, We maintain a very large uh, university website through a content management system, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. It's the Open Text product. And we also manage our own in-house CMS for various other types of website that we run. Um, some of the other things we do are manage websites for uh, external companies. Um, we have spin-out companies for the university, for example. Also, research projects that wouldn't naturally sit under the Aberdeen domain. And we also run <clears throat> various web applications. So, for example, our university prospectus is an application. Our news and events run from an application. Our staff profiles run from an application. And uh, we manage kind of large amount of third-party domains as well. So quite a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's busy. I wasn't aware of quite how much was on your plate, Mike. Yeah, and that's just one side of what I do. I also manage all the MIS for the university. So um, that is um, an unholy marriage to begin with, but one that's actually proved to be very valuable because, um, of course, the front-facing web now relies very heavily on back-end data sets, and increasingly we're trying to exploit all the corporate data sets at the front-end website. <clears throat> so it's good, good stuff. So what would you say the kind of biggest challenge that you guys face is? Well, if I, you sent me these questions beforehand, and I thought biggest challenge, that's only one. I've got about seven. So okay, seven's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, at a sort of macro level, the biggest challenge we currently face, um, and one that will be very familiar to you, Paul, is making the case for digital. Mm. So at the minute, we're in a kind of halfway house between the old way of doing things and the way we should be doing things digitally. Um, the, I think in the past, the university has been very reactive to things that have happened primarily on the web. I think we've gone through the pain of that, and now we've got through various web projects, we've run into a sort of strategic operational environment where we're actually trying to plan ahead for things so for example mobile and responsive design is something we're going to be doing and we've just recently established a body called the digital strategy group which will be looking at um, all the challenges the digital age is going to bring to the table and we've got like participation in that from very significant senior members of staff but also engagement from all the areas we would like to have involved such as marketing um, recruitment all those areas. So we're starting to look very strategically at digital. But I know that ideally we'd, be, we'd, we'd even be beyond that. We'd be in a sort of transformational stage where the organization had actually been truly transformed from uh, from its old working practices into a new and much more highly responsive way. And I think we're a long way off from that. I mean, it's something I've noticed you've been dealing with a lot in your in your blog lately. And, and every week we think, oh, has Paul been bugging our offices? Cause, yeah. All the issues you've been dealing with are issues that we face or, or, or are going to have to face. So at a macro level, that is a, the biggest challenge we face. But we are kind of heading in the right direction. You know, I think we've, we've got all the right stakeholders in the room. The first meeting of that group is yet to happen. It's going to happen in April. And we're going to take it from there. And what I think we're going to do is kind of 
identify through that group key projects that business should be taking on across the board for digital, and then we're going to try and resource those and deliver on them. So that's all really quite exciting. It's a challenge, but it's a, it's a, it's a welcome challenge. Uh, on a sort of more micro level, the kind of challenges we face are um, content as ever. You know, we've yeah. long way with the website. Um, we've now got pretty much everything we would deem to be the corporate website in the CMS, but we still only have, I think, I can count on one hand how many people we have writing content for the website formally as part of their job. Um, we, we just don't have a content strategy, and the website shows it. So no matter how beautiful the websites we produce, ultimately, they're full of fairly rubbish content for the most part. Um, we have actually made the case to the university that they need professional content people, and we've been very fortunate to appoint two very capable digital communication officers in the past 12 months, both of whom have made a huge difference in the institution, but even they, you know, it's only two individuals, and we're talking about a, a university with over 3,500 staff and 16,000 students, so we need a lot more content thinking, and that, is, again, is in its infancy and something that I hope the Digital Strategy Group will, will be able to help make happen. Um, usability and user experience are always a challenge. Um, still, we don't do enough testing for that. We don't think about the user enough, and that's not just the website. I mean, today, any given user of a university website is going to have to interact with numerous applications and um, deal with different interfaces, forms, and so on. And we would like to see standardization across the board for those and consistent uh, look and feel, consistent user experience consistent validation for forms, all that kind of stuff, uh, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of that. And I'm sure you've seen examples of digital campuses from around the world. We'd very much like to be in that sort of zone, and we're, we're, we're far from it at the minute, but we are thinking about it. Um, another development we've had recently is we've tried to split web work between uh, pure development and what we call the operational side of web. So we've actually set up basically what amounts to an IT service desk for the web front end. So anyone in the institution who has a reason to do anything with the web and has a problem with the web, they email the service desk. Now we have an operational team who just deal with kind of low to medium level requests for the website, for form bills, for, for small to medium sized websites that are standard CMS rollouts. And that's kind of a decision we've made to try and protect the, the more senior and more able developers so they can get on with doing more complex applications, developments. So that's a, a big difference that we've only just really begun to put into place, but it's great because it's taken a lot of the pressure off the, the developers and, and also allowed some people to develop careers in the operational side. <coughs> um, we also um, are struggling to keep up with expectation around mobile, so um, we we have now the building blocks in place to do a fully responsive website, but we haven't actually got there yet because we haven't done all the thinking that's required behind that, and we're, I think we're very behind the game on that. Um, as a stopgap, we've produced a very feature-rich mobile app for the university, which you can get in the standard stores. It's just called iAberdeen. If any of your listeners want to download it and criticise it, I'd love to hear the feedback <laughs> from <coughs> So uh, there's a huge expectation around mobile, which I think we've, we've yet to, to meet. But um, as I say, this digital strategy group might help us must get there. And also I'm hoping that that strategy group will help break down some of the institutional silos that exist. 
So, that was a long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it was long, but it's all the right kind of thing. You know, you, you, you talk as if, um, you know, you, you've got a long way to go, which you obviously have. But you, you guys are looking at all the right kind of thing. You know, you're looking at digital transformation, a focus on service and user experience, you know, um, putting content at the heart of what you do. You know, dividing. I like the, the dividing the operational day to day kind of um, stuff from the more strategic, longer term development stuff. You know, it's all the right kind of pieces. But like you say, in an organisation of your size, it takes time to to turn the ship, so to speak. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's kind of leading into the next question you asked, which is if I can take over your interview for you. Yeah, carry on. Great. You 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 do it. So I'm okay. downloading our Aberdeen, so I can't do anything else at the moment. <laughs> What's the most important lesson we've learned is is, is the one about governance. Um, the the project we've just finished really, which took all the legacy websites and put them into the CMS. Uh, we called it Web Phase Two. The Phase One was the bit that Headscape itself was involved with, where we looked at our central pages. But the Phase Two became this sort of huge monolithic project. Um, and in order to do that, we had to basically get every stakeholder in the institution together in a room and get them to agree on things and obviously that was massively painful and difficult to begin with but eventually after we got through the norming and storming we got into the performing and um, everyone was singing from the same hymn sheet and everyone knew what the objectives were and everyone was on the same page and that's been tremendously helpful but that was only helpful insofar as it went the, the old school desktop web we now need to do the same kind of thing for digital which is much more challenging because it brings in the really senior members of the institution so I mean I, I would say to all your listeners out there who work in jobs like mine I mean I've come from a traditional web background and now I'm having to adapt myself for digital and it's not you can't just sit in your IT web silo or your, even your marketing silo anymore you have to go out and be a political animal so my colleague Mike who runs the web team and I are just off after this interview to go and speak to our new vice principal for internationalization who's just been appointed and we need to go and meet him and greet him and say this is what we do and present like all the challenges we face because obviously as a new individual he's probably coming in thinking oh god look at the state of their website it's dreadful why don't they do this why don't they do that I mean um, so I think you need to kind of be putting yourself out there and, and taking those chances and I noticed your last presentation did that Paul you were saying it's you you're the person responsible I think if you're sincere about changing things you have to you have to be political and you need to get that governance structure in place as well yeah you're basically one big advert for my new book digital adaptation it's wonderful I'm just sitting back here listening to you talk about all the kinds of things that I cover in the book so it's encouraging that first we'll be in touch yeah. <laughs> I'll send you a free book what, what more can I ask <laughs> it, there, there are parallels with us though as well at the agency end I mean we're having to look a lot more broadly at what people are looking for from an agency like us I mean it used to be just as you say desktop websites but it's not it's certainly not just that anymore we're getting involved in in helping people with strategies so therefore we have to understand their full kind of digital requirements rather than just web and it's something that's it's a steep learning curve well it is for an old boy like me anyway Aww. One thing um, we find is that um, the, the institution, if you get a group like a digital strategy group together, they might form a request of you like, well, we want a better prospectus. But when you start unpicking that, what does it actually mean? It means definitely the kind of things that Headscape traditionally do, which is sort of good front-end 
usable web development, but it actually means you need a back-end thing as well. So it might mean you know you need your program information in there, you need your course information. Yeah. You might need stuff about the members of staff teaching in the courses, and all those rely on the big data sets, which is the other team that I need. So when the institution says build a better perspective, what they don't realize they're asking for might be something like an enterprise service bus at the back end, which is a massive piece of development. Yeah. So that, you're quite right. Your agency really needs to start thinking about big data as much as it does about the front end. And I think to an extent there is now a... a a science and a methodology behind usability and front-end stuff. I mean, we all know that it's what we need to be doing there. It, it's not it's not rocket science anymore the way it once was, and it is getting to grips with big data and, and how we manage that that I think is part of the challenge now. That actually brings us nicely on to the next question, which is um, I know you guys do a lot of stuff in-house these days, but, I mean, obviously in the past that you've um, looked to bring in outside support, um, what is it that you look for when you're looking at outside agencies? You know, what attracts you to one agency over another? Um, well, the credibility of the agency. I mean, I think there's a lot. You'll know yourself that back in the day, there were a lot of so-called web design companies out there who really probably glorified graphic designers, didn't know anything about usability. So uh, that's one part. I mean, it's quite easy for us to tell who knows what they're talking about in that regard. A second thing would be experience in the sector, obviously. Um, we've used your company to great success and also a company called Precedent who have very good experience in the higher education arena. So they kind of know the things that make universities tick or rather the monolithic, terrible structures of universities and how difficult it is to get everything done and the kind of political animal you need to be if you work in, in, an, in an educational institution. So that kind of sectoral experience is, is worth a great deal. I think what we typically look for in any kind of agency we hire in this area is is not so much to actually do the development, but it's to come in and persuade the people who don't understand the issue to understand what it is mm. and actually make the case. So with both you and with President, we worked on information architecture exercises, and really, even I didn't realize it at the time, but at the end of the day, it wasn't so much about the information architecture. It was about getting all the right people in the room and getting them to understand there was such a thing as information architecture and that they needed to pay attention to it. So the end product wasn't actually what we implemented per se. I mean, it was it was a version of it. <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. like making the case to get like, people in the room and getting them to understand what the issue is. And we're just about to do that with um, digital stuff. We're going to get some workshops together with a, with a company uh, to, to help our senior staff understand what the issues are. <laughs> That's that's really interesting. I I think that's a big message that I'm often communicating is that as web designers, our job is as much it's educators as it is implementers. That you know we we need to spend a lot of time uh, helping people understand what is actually required, um, rather than just going away and implementing it. You know, and I think that's a big part of the job. The, the final question that I wanted to, to ask you, I mean, you've kind of already touched on this when you've talked about the challenges that are, um, you're facing, but what's the, the big next thing for you? What is it that you're focusing on over the next few months? Well, what I hope to do at this digital strategy of the inaugural meeting is have a, a presentation on the digital campus. And what I mean by that is a kind of cradle-to-grave, one-web interface for, you know, whether you're an applicant, a, a current student, uh, an alumnus, whatever you happen to be, you're going to come through one style and one look and feel of uh, web interface. Now, at the minute, we have 
a fairly nice front-end website that goes so far, and then eventually a student will go off into some kind of Oracle-based application, for, or they might have to deal with some other application for doing their accommodation. When they're alumnus, God help them, they're in the net community, which is a third-party application, which is completely different again. And every time they'll have to go through some form of registration process. You know, if you go to somewhere like Amazon, you just don't get that experience anymore. You know, I find it terrifying. Amazon, I've had a couple of beers. I quickly, and easy it is to order a hundred pounds worth of stuff. <laughs> and that is what we, where we want to be with the university website. <clears throat> so we, we'll be looking on trying to get a uniform look and feel across all our web sites and web applications. And, and we'll have to do that before we actually manage to link all the big data up at the back end. So we're going to have to do a lot of kind of stitching things together. So I see that as the big challenge. Um, the one thing that we lack at the minute, which I think would be key to a, a successful digital campus, is global CRM, uh, by which I mean customer relationship management software. Yeah. So we have about seven CRM systems in use in the institution at the minute for alumni, for prospective students, for current students. We need a sort of cradle-to-grave CRM system. We are going to kick off a project within this calendar year about that, um, and that is the killer app for the digital campus, I think. So once you have that CRM behind the scenes, I think that's when you really can start to fly with customer focus. Uh, mobile is obviously a big challenge, as I mentioned earlier. We still haven't got our responsive design website together, which is enormously embarrassing to me, but we are where we are or we aren't where we are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, we've also been looking at things like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the BBC Global Experience language. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, if we could get something like that, even a kind of hobbled together version just for the university. I mean, we have innumerable teams who do application development. And what application development now means is web development, really, because it's all got a web interface. Mm. At the minute, we have maybe four or five teams all developing applications with the web front end and some of them look like this and some of them look like that and if we had something like the jail framework you could just say well we don't need to think about buttons or links or how we lay the page out or how it's going to work on a television or you know all that stuff all that thinking is done for you so we'd very much like to start looking at, at that as well that's funny that you mentioned that that's exactly what we're doing currently for the university of edinburgh is putting them together a gel um approach for them and and i think it, it's very it's really useful to have that kind of pattern library in place because it it takes a lot of away a lot of the decision making you know reinventing the wheel that goes on um having something you know a framework like that in place i just gonna say one last thing which is um i think i nicked it from facebook but um Working agile is something we're finding more and more productive. So yeah. something out there and then fixing it after the fact is better than spending years and years trying to get it perfect. So oh, yeah. iterative development, you know, constant. I think you said it again, Paul, years ago, which is like you should be looking to always refine, refine, refine rather than wait three years and then completely rebuild. So yeah, absolutely. To your listeners too. Again, that's uh, we've been doing that with the University of Strathclyde. We seem to be doing a lot of um, university stuff up your way. Being based in the south of England, it makes perfect sense for all of our university clients to be in Scotland. Will you come up post-independence? <laughs> <laughs> well, will we be allowed? You won't be welcome. <laughs> well, they'll kick you out, though, won't they? You're not a proper <laughs> Scotsman. <laughs> Or are well, you now? Yeah, no, I'll get deported back to Northern Ireland. Go help. <laughs> Good to talk to you, Mike. And uh, yeah, let's keep us informed about how things go. Well, cheers, Paul. Cheers, Marcus. Bye, Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.
So you made everybody wait and listen to the whole of Mike McConnell's interview. And all they were sitting thinking the whole time is, what the hell's the story, Marcus? Did you end up naked in the middle of Aberdeen? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I learned a very, uh, a very good lesson. Never try and keep up with a Scotsman when drinking whiskey? Well, he's an Irishman, but I guess oh, yeah, the, is, same, the same applies. Um, but all that, no, I think I can hold my own on that, on that front. Um, although we did just go, okay, one more for the road, go on, yes. And, we, we'd got, and then, oh, I'll, you need to want, I'll take you back to where your hotel is, because you won't remember. No, I won't, I said. So we ended up going, oh, look, the bar's still open, so we had another couple there. But the lesson I learned was always fly up the night before a meeting when you have to do an overnighter yeah don't fly it fly back the night after whatever it is you're going to do because if you fly it the night before you'll think well we've got the big presentation or whatever it is tomorrow need to take it a bit easy this evening yeah whereas if you do the big presentation or whatever and everyone's thinking well that went really well brilliant 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 let's all go out and celebrate which it wasn't quite like that but we kind of went out had a nice meal and then it was like well nothing else i'm flying back i think i had a 9 30 flight which seemed inordinately late in the morning <laughs> um and anyway i just woke up thinking i was going to die uh, proper die whiskey and me don't agree with each other basically and and i can remember being uh, being taken to the airport by a very, very loud Scotsman <laughs> and in, in, in a traffic jam, thinking I wasn't going to make the plane and feeling very sick. Oh, dear. Um, so, yes, that's, that's how mine and Mike's relationship kicked off. And yet you still like the guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, great. I don't like him. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's because of his label for you. Yes. Which we discussed the other week. Yes. Snake oil salesman. <laughs> so rude. He thinks you're brilliant. Well, of course he, really he does. does. Everybody does. Well, I don't. Well, you know, everybody that matters. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I, I, I always find listening to Mike. Um, no, I do like Mike. I'll tell you why. It's because he was—he he basically regurgitated my whole book in that certainly did. interview. So, Mike, now I've forgiven you for the snake oil comment <laughs> because that was a brilliant interview. Actually, it really was. I think he shared a lot of really good stuff in it. Why is it that digital is always so under-resourced? It gets right up my nose. Anyway. Well, I mean, they're, they're reasonably well-resourced compared to a lot of institutions. Yeah, I know. But um, even so, I don't know. It's still, it still is really, it's trying to push an enormous boulder up a hill. Yeah. Um, when we were talking about some of the things that Mike was talking about, we're just about to kind of like, we're getting momentum on, you know, uh, the, the, the gel and pattern library type idea. I mean, not that we were talking about those specific things when we were working with them back in 2008, nine, I think it was. But we were talking about the, rec- the need for... Uh, basically for them to stop going off in hundreds of different directions to pull together um, from a design point of view. And it still isn't there. Mm. Uh, and I don't, you know, certainly not Mike's fault. Mike's an excellent leader um, and someone who is willing to stand up and try and make things happen. And even someone like that, it's taken this long to, yeah. to happen. So really depressing, really. It is a bit. Um, I, and I don't think it's just the higher education sector. I think it's just large organisations are often very cumbersome. I mean, yeah. I cover all this in the book, and I've gone on about it endlessly on last season as well, so I won't go over it again. But I think what he said about, you know, we need to step up and become political animals. We can't just sit in our little web enclave, I thought was probably the best uh, the thing that I took away from his interview, that we've got to be sales people and, and, and we've got to have education skills as well. I thought that was really good. Yeah. So really good interview. Okay, so this is probably the longest show we've ever done. 
<laughs> oh, that's not possible. <laughs> well, we did do that 12-hour show, didn't we? <laughs> well, that's certainly true, yeah. I'm not doing that again, ever. That was such a ridiculous idea, although hugely fun. I was going to say, I thought, I thought it was quite good. It was fun, actually. I did enjoy doing it. Anyway, that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, joke time, I guess. Yep. The last joke the last of joke season of nine. Season so it better nine. be a damn good one. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, um, it's, but it, as usual, made me laugh a little bit. What did the fisherman say to the magician? What did the fisherman say to the magician? Pick a cod, any cod. That is possibly... <laughs> possibly the worst joke you've told. I, I don't know, it's such a difficult competition. <laughs> what bone will a dog never eat? Go on. A trombone. <laughs> it's just cracker jokes, that's all you're doing now. <laughs> These are cracker you're jokes. You're not even attempting to come up with jokes of any quality anymore, are what you? Did I, I don't, I've probably mentioned this in pre- previous um, episodes, but um, someone, some, some scientist somewhere did a, did a, um, a survey on, or investigated, I can't think of the right word, looked into um, cracker jokes. You've got what, this off of QI. Possibly. Yeah, because I've just watched that QI episode. Oh, right. Well, yeah, about why go. cracker jokes have to be bad. Because it makes everyone feel like, oh, yeah, ha-ha. And if they were a bit cleverer, then some people might be left out of the joke. So they have to be bad. They have to be bad. And also, his other point was, is that a joke can divide a room. Yeah. Because half of the people will go, oh, that was funny. And the other half either didn't get it or thought it wasn't funny. Yeah. Well, a bad joke unites everybody in its badness. That's the, that's it. Mm. So there you go. I'm uniting everyone. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are, Marcus. I've got another equivalently bad one. Go on, then. One more. What's the difference between bird flu and swine flu? Go on. If you have bird flu, you need tweetment. If you have swine flu, you need oinkment. Now, that's quite good. I quite like that one. It's Not enough a... to laugh, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, still a, it's still a cracker joke. Anyway, no more bad jokes. Yay, until next season. <laughs> yes. We send me more bad jokes, people. No, send in good jokes. Or whatever, just jokes. Just jokes. So we're going to be back on the 25th of July, um, I, I, <laughs> which amuses me that I say that. I say that with a lot of confidence, don't I? And then I mm. look at my calendar and think... <laughs> But in theory, we're going to be back on the 25th of July with our new season, season 10, or actually season 11 if you count the classic episodes. Um, but we don't. It's like or, or 240 of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to do season um, 10 on our top 10 things yep. in each show. So send us that list. Otherwise, enjoy your break. Listen to Shop Talk. Very good uh, podcast to keep going in the meantime. Or Unfinished Business by Andy Clark. I'll link in the show notes to both of those. Or Happy Monday as well. That's another good one you might want to check out. In fact, there are so many web design podcasts these days, I don't know why you bother listening to us. (laughs) So there you go. Have a good couple of weeks, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.